Hello, and welcome to a special installment of Beltway Banthas. I had the pleasure of sitting down this week in D.C. with Kristen Soltis Anderson. She's a renowned D.C. pollster, author of The Selfie Vote, and a frequent contributor to MSNBC, CNN, Fox News. Uh, I've seen her a couple times on The Bill Maher Show and even on The O'Reilly Factor. She is a powerhouse in... Uh, political polling and understanding the millennial vote. It was a real privilege to talk to her about Star Wars. Now, I found out about her fandom through her show, The Pollsters. This is a really great podcast that you can subscribe to and check out if you want to get familiar with the best of political polling and basically understanding what is going on in the news by the numbers. Chris and I have a great conversation about the beginnings of her fandom about Star Wars and how it's impacted her political ideology over time. And we also dig into the favorability ratings of Master Qui-Gon Jinn. Should he run for president? You shall find out. I uh, hope you all enjoy the conversation. You will never find the more wretched hive of scum and villainy. We must be cautious. Space Cadets, and welcome to Beltway Banthas. And we are thrilled and honored to have with us today Kristen Soltis Anderson. Kristen, thanks for being Thank with us. Thank you for today. having me. Um, so I have seen you on both Bill O'Reilly and Bill Maher. <laughs> Which one is more preferable? Oh gosh, uh, I gotta say, going on Real Time with Bill Maher is the most fun you can have on television. I probably agree with Bill Maher on five percent of issues, but. Even though he has a show that is horribly offensive and crass and often says just the worst things about people that I agree with and support, um, I, the, the staff on that show is lovely. And it's just fun and it, because there's always some kind of random celebrity that's on the panel and there's a live audience and it's just, it's an adventure. Now, I remember you sitting elbow to elbow with Bernie Sanders. Yes, indeed. Uh, what was it like to actually see live the finger wag? Oh, I right was in your face. feeling the burn at a distance of, of six, less than six inches away from him. Um, he, he came by himself. I don't think he had any staff with him. I mean, normally if you work in the political realm, you've got, you see these principals, right? These mm-hmm. senators, these members of Congress, and they've always got like... A body man, a you know, a press secretary, somebody with them. But like Bernie Sanders just kind of rolled in on his own, hanging I can't out. Imagine a press secretary is helpful to a guy like that. Like, yeah, I mean, he knows, well, he knows what he thinks. I'm guessing now he ro- rolls with a pretty extensive entourage. But I mean, back then, this was maybe two years ago. Mm-hmm. So I mean, even a year ago, Bernie Sanders was polling at three percent in the Democratic mm-hmm. primary. You know, so. Um, it may not have been that that long ago, but but it certainly was before he became a big national name and the person attempting to dethrone Hillary Clinton from uh, the top of the Democratic Party. But he was a, he was a lovely guy, if if an if kind of an odd bird. <laughs> well, I had um, I had first heard of you and your show uh, from a friend of the North Carolina legislature. Your uh, the selfie vote gets passed around, kind of like the Bible in my circles. Oh, good. Um, yes, it very, it very much does. It's, it's not the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> we we don't want to go there. Uh, but and also the pollsters is often shared in these circles as well among all the staffers. And uh, so 
I had heard you talking about Star Wars polling on the show, uh, much to the dismay of your delightful co-host. Uh, <laughs> she's like, man, you scrappy kids talking about Star Wars. She thinks Wars. I'm crazy when I bring up sports. When I, br- yeah, I, I, Margie has a lot of reasons to kind of roll her eyes at me sometimes. But I just, I just knew I would want you to come on the show whenever we got started. Now, did I assume too much, or are you a Star Wars fan? I am a Star Wars fan. Um, in well, I'll, I'll save the reveal of which character it was, but uh, I had the name of a Star Wars character as my AIM screen name throughout high school and college. Now, if you if you heard our segment on the pollsters, I confess to absolutely loving a fairly unpopular character in the Star Wars universe. Well, the polling <laughs> suggests that Jar Jar was once popular. No, this was Is not Jar Jar Binks. No, no, no. Fairly unpopular. No, I was not Jar Jar Binks. Six five nine. Captain Panaka. No, so Queen Amidala. So when I okay. was in high school, um, Episode One was not my introduction to the Star Wars universe, but it was the first time I ever really felt fully absorbed by it. Um, because, you know, I don't remember a lot of the hype around the original trilogy. I think I was either too young or wasn't alive yet. And, um, in my household, like, my parents weren't huge Star Wars fans, so it was never something that I, like, grew up with. Um, I remember at one point renting a VHS from the local library of Star Wars and put it in the VHS player at home, and, you know, the the opening yeah. crawl says episode four a new hope and i was like i think i rented the wrong thing from the library like did they put the wrong tape in mm-hmm. the why does it say episode four is this like the fourth of like a, a set of tape like that's how little i knew about star wars is that i i had the correct film but i didn't realize i had the correct film um so you know i, I just was never fully exposed to it and then episode one came out and i was I had just turned 15 at the time. Um, and this was the summer after my freshman year of high school. And I was obsessed. Obsessed. I requested Duel of the Fates on Total Request Live, like, obsessively. Wow. Everybody else is requesting Limp Biscuit and Britney Spears. And I'm like, Blink no, no. Give me <laughs> Duel of the Fates. Um, and so Queen Amidala, that was the screen name, uh-huh. because... She was 14 and ruled a planet. And I wanted to rule a planet. I thought that sounded really cool. I could see you doing that. So, yeah, watching that, you know, now I go back and I have rewatched episode one and it has it has not fared as well. And like I rewatched yeah. it and I'm like, what was I thinking? Why did I love this so much? But at the time, I was just obsessed with episode one. I still have Queen Amidala paper dolls. I made my little sister dress up as Queen Amidala for Halloween that night, that coming that well, next that can fall. That's gonna be elaborate. What 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 version of Queen Amidala would that be? Oh, um, the red dress, like with the. I mean, the hair. It was just like a plastic uh-huh. mask thing. And again, this was my. I was doing this to my sister, who at the time would have been nine. Um, you know, but then it was the red dress with like the kind of like hoops out at the bottom with the. The glowy things. Yep. I'm, I'm like, yep. I don't know if I'm describing the, this correctly. The, yeah, the yellow balls. The yellow the glowing things, yeah. Um, the one where, like, I have a Queen Amidala Lego figurine, and that's that's the little, that's the Lego person with, with that dress and that hair. I dig it. Yeah, what, um, I mean, what about episode one 
doesn't register with you now because well, I, I know for me that there, there are some certain things and it really just comes down to delivery of lines. The delivery of lines, the acting quality is what hasn't stood up over time. Yes, I, I think that's wrong. that's a hundred percent what it is. So when I was 15, I, I wasn't really discerning about that. I was just like, oh, she's 14 and she's running a planet and look, she's hanging out in a Senate. This is so cool. And at the time I had, I was just sort of getting into this whole high school debate thing and like the type of debate I did in high school, you pretended to be a Senate. So the idea of like, oh, she's going to the galactic, like this was just all, it all makes sense. It was just, there was just so much cool and amazement and I love this and oh my gosh. And then now when I rewatch it, it's, I think it's especially bad because I right before Force Awakens came out, I watched the trilogy in the the machete order. I think is it you watch yeah. like four, yeah. five, one, two, three, six, and I, I I think you skip one. Well, but yeah. I wanted to watch it again because I had loved it so much, and that and you go from two movies of Princess Leia just killing it. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, oh, Natalie Portman, no, wait a minute, wait a minute, no, this is, and it's just like, Amidala just paled in comparison, like, yeah. oh, your daughter's so much cooler than you, and I just never, I never fully processed it at the yeah, time. Yeah, Padme was much stronger to me when I was younger, and then as I've gotten older and rewatched the, the prequels, I'm like, wow, she really got, they neutered her character over time. She started off really strong and then got progressively weaker, I think, as she got lured into this high school-esque romance throughout, oh. the, throughout the course of the films. But um, I think where I'd want to go with that was just backing up because you know you're you're involved in in the the Senate as a uh, as a teenager. <laughs> so I mean, were you always into politics and polling numbers? Where did that all start? From? Yeah, well, I, I was always really interested in politics. I was that kid like this this interview is it's gonna make me sound like I'm like one of those Ted Cruz type like quasi sociopath kids but like I you know I was the kid Uh that like I ran for class treasurer in the fourth grade and lost but was undeterred and then in the sixth grade I ran for class president and I lost but I was undeterred and then in seventh grade I ran for class president and I lost but I was undeterred oddly enough by the time I got to the ninth grade I won by internalize this is sort of like the republican party can learn lessons from trump even mm-hmm. if it doesn't become trump um my, the lesson i had learned was all of these kids give these speeches that are you know everybody just wants to go home and get on the bus and so when i gave my speech that's all i said i said i know everybody wants to go home you all know me you know i've run for things before i hope you'll vote for me for president thanks and i won freshman class president <laughs> instead of getting up and giving my 10 point plan for making freshman year great again so anyhow, that was uh, so I, I was always into the student government stuff, and then once I got to high school, I realized I could actually channel this weird passion in a different direction by joining the debate team. And this was also around the time of the 2000 election, mm-hmm. um, so you know, started paying more attention to that. Oh, who do I like more? You know, there's Gore, there's Bush, there's McCain. There's so much going on. I had a great sophomore year history teacher. Um, who also kind of really focused on exposing us to all this stuff. And I grew up in Florida, so then you may have heard the election was kind of a big deal down in Florida in the year 2000. <laughs> so, so, yeah, uh, so fully exposed to the, the real rough-and-tumble world of politics through the local media when I was in high school. Um, but it was, it was all of this debate stuff that really got me focused on, I need to go to Washington one day. I need to work in politics. Like I watched West Wing. I've got to, I've got to go live the Sorkin dream. Um, so I went to college, 
wound up going to school in Gainesville. I was kind of sad. I wanted to go to school in D.C., but... Uh, you know, Florida makes it real easy for people in state to get a good, affordable education. And I'm so glad I was a Gator. I loved my time there, but I was antsy to get to D.C. So I graduated early and I, I moved to Washington. I had gotten a job at a polling firm the summer before I graduated. And I had also always been pretty good at math, but I didn't like it that much. Like my dad's an engineer. You know, he would expose my sisters and I to, you know, he'd bring home like cool tech from work. Like I had a, a, a an engineering, like a plotter in my room that people used to like, like com- your computer can, it's like instead of a printer, it's like an arm with a pen on it that can draw yes. out things on blueprints and yep. stuff. Like I had one of those in my room when I was growing up. Just, for no reason. Um, so the, the tech and the math and all of that stuff was kind of like in my blood, even uh-huh. if I didn't, I always thought I was more of a verbal person. Um, but it was when I was doing an internship at the NRCC in the finance department um, that I realized I really didn't like campaign fundraising, but I was not afraid of a spreadsheet. And that's a valuable skill to have. So some colleagues said, look, if you want to be a speech writer, a press person, but you're not afraid of a PowerPoint and a spreadsheet. Like being a pollster is actually kind of a good path for you to choose. Was your family pretty supportive of that path early on, or did they kind of were they kind of freaked out well, by like I, this daughter with this love of politics and number crunching? Well, they definitely think that the politics thing is weird. That like was I switched at birth at the hospital? <laughs> but I, I look an awful lot like both my parents, uh-huh. so um, I'm I'm clearly their daughter. Uh, but the the number so the number crunching made sense because you know my dad being an engineer and all and me being having been reasonably good at that all along the way that that made sense um, and then the politics stuff was predictable if th- they couldn't figure out where I got it from but it had been such a clear passion of mine for so long when I was in college I was a political science major and my mom used to sort of be like well are you going to be a political scientist? Like the assumption being, well, are you going to go to law school with that? Um, and so in a way, it's it's a small point of pride for me that I can say, no, I actually did become sort of a political scientist. Well, you did start with the path of, uh, of young Padme Amidala. She pursued student government at a very young age. She came <laughs> up in the ranks in student government in Naboo. And she was uh, she was headhunted by Palpatine himself and then run to run go for the Senate. Do you ever see yourself actually going for a political position? at any point are you happy uh, it did not work out very well for senator amidala later on that was it was a, that's a cautionary tale for young women interested in politics uh-huh. <laughs> um i feel like i've seen too much at this point well also i mean i one i live in washington dc where my ideological persuasion is not shared by many of my fellow citizens um but two i i feel like the the main goal is how do I change the sorts of policies that we have in the country and how can I best achieve that? And I've gotten very lucky in the last few years to have a platform now where I can talk about this kind of stuff and say, this is what I think the Republican Party should stand for. These are ideas that I think aren't being covered as much. Um, certainly, it's not the same as having you know the ability to vote in Congress or to be on a town council or something where you're making these decisions. But for the moment, you know I, I don't see myself running for anything or or that being something that would be more uh, have more of an impact than right. than what I can do now kind of on on the outside you feel of things. like you can have more of an influence on the direction right of well the and electorate. there's and it, I, it's so unfortunate too because now there are so many deterrents for people to run for office yes. that there's the you know your whole past is going to get 
dug through, right? People are going to find out that I was a Queen Amidala fan in 1999, and this is already going to be in a file. And shame. shame. I'm going to get walked through the streets with people ringing the bell saying shame. You know, I mean, but like like all of this, you know, your family gets dragged into it. That's unpleasant. Then you have to raise all of this money. You know, there was that whole 60 Minutes expose thing that's kind of controversial that shows just how much time members of Congress have to spend just on the phone begging people for money. That sounds miserable. If I'm going to call people up and ask them to give money, I'd rather ask them, hey, I can provide this cool service from my company. Do you want to buy it? Like, if I'm going to go through and cold call people and ask them for money, as unpleasant as that would be, I'd like to be giving them something in return besides a vote in Congress. Well, you you had mentioned your theological persuasion. I want to take an opportunity to pivot back to Star Wars. Your ideological persuasion, how does that apply in your mind to your love of Star Wars? Do you, do you see Star Wars through through your political lens, or do you sort of just approach it as an every person? Uh, so, yeah, I try not to. I think in part because I work in politics, I try not to apply politics to the other things in mm-hmm. my life. But it is somewhat inevitable. And I think, you know, I mean, there's a... There's a scene, or there's a you know a moment in the prequels when they're handing you know they're they're handing over all of the power to Palpatine, and I think Amidala says something like like this is how liberty dies to thunderous applause or like you know some line like that. That's but, it. <laughs> um, and you know that to me, you know, I don't necessarily view it as a left right thing. Maybe more as a kind of like a libertarian thing. But certainly, I think there are the left right dynamics. I don't think it's as helpful to view Star Wars through that lens, but I think through the liberty, tyranny, centralization, decentralization lens, there's a lot going on there. Yeah, I think Star Wars is most popular and most political in the libertarian camps. Your young Americans for your liberty are just the ones who dominate the meme world with Star Wars. Um, That particular scene... Han Solo, cold, hard capitalist... (laughs) Yeah, you know? very true. I mean, that, that's the right to bear arms. <laughs> and I, I just, it's all over Twitter. It's just all over Twitter. Yeah. But all, uh, with that scene in particular in the Senate and the, desol- the dissolution of the Republic, I remember that being the talk of my high school um, because we were still in the middle of the Bush administration yeah. at that time. And everybody in my class was talking about the Iraq war is not going to end. He's going to keep driving it. He's going to decline. We, we believe that there was going to be a declaration of emergency powers when we were high schoolers. And we were all looking at Star Wars as that example and yeah. that it was some sort of broad political statement. I mean, do you do you look at Star Wars in the sense that George Lucas is making political statements or do you do you sort of, again, approach it um, apolitically? Uh, I mean, I approach it as... He's, he's a political guy. Yes. Um, but I, I think of it as he's trying to tell a story. And I, and I believe that culture... There's this there's this phrase that saying that gets thrown around a lot that people attribute to the late Andrew Breitbart, which is that culture is upstream of politics. That storytelling and culture is what ultimately influences where our politics heads. So instead of making a movie like a, you know, a Fahrenheit 9-11, Michael Moore, this is why the Bush administration is terrible, this is why your liberty is being taken away, you know, type movie that just, like, hits you over the head with it. I think telling a story, a fictional story, um, can be a really interesting way to, like, to lay out points about why liberty matters or why, you know, why you know how to balance freedom and security and things like that i think it's a much more valuable way to tease this stuff out than something that just hits you in the face with overt political partisanship like like you can sometimes see out of documentaries or punditry um 
you know, I don't view Star Wars as being a, a call to the right or left, but I do view it as a as a, a, a powerful story that explains why liberty matters. I mean, and it's 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 in many ways, you know, it's a story. If you think about the American Revolution, right? You know, we were rebels against an empire that wanted to do things to us that we we didn't like. Uh, you know, there's a lot of the American story in in the Star Wars universe. As a fan, did you? Uh... Did you ever go through a period of sleeping? Like, you, you grew up in the prequels, and then I did as well, and then I sort of tuned out after Revenge of the Sith in 2005. And then with The Force Awakens, I felt like I kind of reawakened. I'm like, man, I'm back. I'm in this, and I'm going to keep staying in this fandom forever. I mean, did you sort of go through a, a dark period? <laughs> yes, I did. Well, because I, I, you know, I'd loved episode one, and then by the time episode three came out, I had already been sort of bullied away from my pro episode one position, <laughs> um, which now I just talk about on Twitter to troll people because I like I'm inviting hate by bringing it up. Um, I mean, do you still like that movie though? Like, I, I mean, I do. Well, it's I think for in the same way that like I really still love the very first Backstreet Boys album I ever got. Like, I can acknowledge that it is not great music. And you listen to the lyrics and you're like, what am I even listening to? But it has, I have deep affection for it because it reminds me of a time in my life that I enjoyed. And, mm-hmm. and it was something that I enjoyed greatly in that time in my life. I think that's why um, Star Wars lasts for so many people. Yeah. Because it just reminds them of the young person that they were and that there is a world beyond their office or their home. Yes. Um, and it's and it's such it's such an intricate universe, too. I mean, I am I have never been somebody who read the extended universe stuff. Mm-hmm. I did, I've yeah. not watched The Clone Wars. My husband has read a lot of the extended universe stuff. And so when the new trilogy, 789, were coming out, mm-hmm. he was the one that would always say, like, oh, there's a theory that this could be, you know, like he was trying not to read spoilers, but also had all of this extended universe knowledge that I guess has now been all cast aside as that does not count as canon. It's moved uh-huh. into the legends category yes. now. <laughs> and they, what they're doing is they're kind of holding on to all of these old stories and drawing from them in little ways, taking little yeah. bits that they like and putting it into the new canon. Well, so, you know, but I, I think you're right. Like I went for a long time when I did not think about Star Wars very much. The, the one time that Star Wars has actually played a big role in my life since then is back in 2007, I was sharing an office with my now husband. Then he was just a coworker. And somehow we had it set up in the office where this was a pre-Slack era. Like if you were going to chat with your coworkers, you had to use like iMessage. Or I think iMessage didn't even exist yet. Maybe it was like Jabber or something like that. Um, but it had some kind of connection to your iTunes so that it would show the whole... If you didn't turn it off, it would show the whole office what song you were listening to in iTunes. And so one day he comes in to the office and is like... And I've got my headphones on and he's like, are you listening to the episode one soundtrack? Because it's the one... It's the only one I ever bought because I yeah. bought the CD when I was in high school and then like ripped it onto MP3s and then those MP3s followed me as I got my first college laptop. You know, it just happened to be there. Do you have the pressing of that CD with the Darth Maul skin on it? Or is it a plain plain CD? Um, oh, no. I mean, I had the, the, the original... Did it have Darth Maul on it or did it have like a planet on it? My... There were two versions that I knew of. There was one that had Naboo like pr- screen printed onto the oh, disc, and then there mine. was another one with the Darth Maul skinning. I think I had the Naboo one. Okay. Um, but so he comes in, he's like, "Are you listening to the Star Wars Episode One soundtrack?" And I'm like, "Um, like, yeah, I, I, I kind of liked that movie." And he was like, "Well," and and I thought he was gonna like make fun of me for it, and instead he's like, 
Well, I've got the soundtracks for the other five movies if you ever want to listen to them. And I was like, and love was born. And love was born. There we oh, go. That's cute. Um, <laughs> I, think, I think one thing that in the fan world this gets talked about a whole lot is positive versus negative fandom and the the episode one badgering is out of, is out of control. Um, I mean, like this is something that meant a lot to people and just like the very fact that you can't openly say like yeah i mean i liked qui-gon jinn i liked padme i liked queen amidala like these were these were I get, like, and i get that the movie has deficiencies right like sure. I, I get that midichlorians are a weird thing and why did they like i i get all this stuff but um but so at, at any rate you know what so there was a time for a while when you know i wasn't thinking about star wars that much i didn't re-watch the movies or anything and then yeah. when the new trilogy was announced that was when i said okay i gotta re-watch all of these movies did the kind of machete order thing and I'm glad that I did because I think it, it got me properly teed up to fully appreciate mm-hmm. The Force Awakens. And honestly, I feel like The Force Awakens for me is maybe my second, like it might be right behind Empire Strikes Back. Perfect. Yeah, I mean, that was that was kind of my next question was which was your favorite and why? Um, so Empire Strikes Back takes the cake. Oh yeah, Empire Strikes it's got, Back. It's is, got it all. It's it's got it all. It's got the the excellent. Leia and Han. This is how you actually do a love story and not make it horribly cringeworthy. Yeah. Element. Um, you've got the 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 reveal at the end of the bit. You know the big thing about Luke Skywalker yeah. and who his father is. And um, I mean, there's just there's so much in that movie that is iconic, and it just you, it like never lets you take a breath. And so I mm-hmm. love I love that one. Return of the Jedi is one of my least favorite, and I've actually fallen asleep. Like you got me of, right. The, of, you got me right there. Oh, is that your favorite? That is my favorite. One. Oh no! I'll, I'll, have to, I'll have to tell you why. But continue. Okay. Well, <laughs> I, I try to like Return of the Jedi, but by the time they hit Endor, I like I fall asleep ah. a lot when I watch the movie for some reason. Um, but Force Awakens, I loved in part because the character of Rey and and Kylo Ren, like both of them, I just felt so strongly about. So I, I I'm and I cannot wait to see their future adventures. I, I feel you there. Um, Kylo Ren for me, I, I don't buy into any of the criticism that he's too soft. I think he's the quintessential like uh, dark Jedi or Sith type. He's character. the millennial <laughs> Sith. Like yeah. that's why that emo emo yeah. Kylo Ren yeah. Twitter account is like the best. So thing ever. actually, our, on our last episode, we did uh, we did readings of uh, of emo Kylo Ren to start <laughs> off the episode. That Twitter handle uh, I like to start every day with a with a reading from emo Kylo Ren. <laughs> but yes, he is he's living the millennial story. He is a character that just compels me because he had what should have been an easy life, and somehow he got lured off, or I think maybe he felt like he could never live up to who his uncle was and to his grandfather was. I just love everything about him. Adam Driver depicts him perfectly. Oh, yeah. I I think it's Adam Driver's performance, too, that just makes it makes it amazing and there there were folks that said uh, my feeling when i walked out of the theater was this was the anakin we deserved and i saw a bunch of other people tweet that but then this that was debatable because it was like well no anakin had to be flawed in his own you know yeah forget hayden christensen anakin had to be flawed and in other ways for for it to work but hayden christensen drove it home when he was evil and being angry that was when he was at his best which I think Kylo was at, or Adam Driver was at his best. Yeah, I, I, I'm very... I mean, just the little things you could read in Driver's expressions yeah. of, like, the moments when you you can see him getting tempted by the light. I think that's the coolest part about him, is we always think about people who are in the light and they're being tempted by the dark side, and he's the other way around. He's, he's like, I really want to be dark, but he's 
tempted by the light and he like conveys it in little things in his face that are just oh there's there's so much to chew on in the scene with han on the walkway Um, you can watch that scene over and over and over again and conclude a different thing about what he wants to do and i remember the first time i saw it i thought that he was just scared because he was he was wanting to go back with han and that you know he just didn't know how to walk away from snoke Second and third time I watched it, I was like, no way. He's, I mean, he's scared because he's going to kill his father. He's not thinking about doing anything else. He just doesn't want to pull the trigger. And then Han as well, just the facial expressions of like, did he walk right up to that knowing that he was going to die? Or did he really think that Ben was going to come back with him? I just, the acting in that movie is just so over the top compared to where we've been in the past decade of Star Wars that I, it just changes. I everything. have to say that that movie also has two of my favorite individual moments from Star Wars films. One is uh, one is a, a, a scene that like not that many people. I, I don't think many people like would have caught it. I think it's most famous because it's the one where BB-8 is like flashing the thumbs up with the lighter. Yeah. But that's not why I love it. It's there's a moment when Ray, like she Ray is trying to fix the ship and she's like she needs a bunch of different yes. equipment and she's asking Finn and she's like I need a whatever whatever you no. know and he's like no 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 that one no the one I'm pointing at and like just the way Daisy Ridley does it I'm like oh girl I've been there yes. <laughs> like yes. I I am you and you are me in this I, moment no 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 Finn, droid, please. Like, those are just some of the most, like, funny scenes in the entire franchise. The comedy of those two. Yeah, they brought fun back. But then my very favorite moment now of any Star Wars film of all of them is Rey grabbing the lightsaber out of the snow Mm -hmm. with the Force. Like, figuring it out. That, for me, like, I'm getting chills right now thinking about it. Because I had been waiting... For so long, before the movie came out, I was joking. I was like, "We forget the, the pay gap. Forget the wage gap. We need the lightsaber gap closed. Yes. That right now there's not enough footage. There's no footage, I don't think, in any of the films of like a female yeah. Jedi wielding a lightsaber. Just a little bit in episode two in the giant Geonosian battlefield. But yeah. it's, you know, it clips that quick. And so that's all I've been waiting for. I'm like, I want to see a girl badass, badass Jedi wielding a lightsaber. And so she grabs that out of the snow and I'm like, yes! Have you thought about happening? what kind of lightsaber she might have in the next movie? Because I, I'm just of the belief they're going to bring back the double-bladed lightsaber and give that to her. Well, there, have you seen there's a clip that she posted on either she posted or yes. Mark Hamill posted on Instagram where she's like yeah she's Practicing. got like a stick and I'm like oh this is gonna be good yes. I would really like to see them explore other lightsaber colors that they haven't actually used in the movies because you know in, in the EU and some of the video games you know there's there's pinks there's yellows there's oh don't they better not give her a pink lightsaber <laughs> no. okay there'd be, no. there'd be, an, there'd be an internet no line. no no not suggested <laughs> I think she'd look awesome with yellow or green but that is just okay. me I think that that could be cool. How many times did you see The Force Awakens? Uh, I've seen it three times in theaters, and I've seen it once now that it has come out. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm glad that I saw it that many times, because every time I saw it, I like picked up new little different things um, that that I had missed previous go-rounds. So that was... That was a movie that it it's it was not boring once I knew the plot. It was better to watch again once I knew where it was headed because I could look for little 
little things along the way to try to figure out who's Ray's parents are. I mean, like, that's was another reason why I went back to see it so many times. Yes. One was because I had, you know, family members or friends that needed to see it, but I was looking for clues. Now, certainly Reddit and the internet will do a much better job of sleuthing for these things oh, yeah. than, like, me sitting in a theater with, a, you know, nachos on my lap. But still, like, the question of who's Ray's parents are, I have spent way too much time, like, sitting in airports. Well, we have a, we have a segment the called Crackpot or Jackpot. So, I have to put you on the spot. Like, okay. what's, what's your favorite Ray theory? Oh. What's the one that you subscribe to? Maybe deep down. You're not sure about it. But oh, you. gosh. <laughs> Shoot. You know, I almost wrote like a whole medium post a few months ago outlining the different scenarios and giving probabilities to each and I sh- I didn't do it and I should have done it missed opportunity huge missed opportunity um my theory is that she is in some way Luke Skywalker's daughter okay um, and the the chief argument against that is like oh well he would never have abandoned his daughter mm-hmm. but I, I believe that like it shows the age where they're leaving her behind yeah. and there's a ship going away like at this point does Luke know that like his family members will be in danger and in the same way that he was left on a desert planet hidden away from his parents for his own safety is that what's happening again yeah. Star Wars goes in a circular you know circular style right. everything comes back I almost around. just said all of this has happened before and will happen again but that's yeah, a I, different that's space really, opera that's really, the whole point. that's really the whole point of the space <laughs> opera the um, I think the one that I'm most stuck on is Ray Kenobi. And, oh, I did like that yeah, theory. I, I like that one a lot, mostly just because of how much they you can put up Ray's physical actions in the Force Awakens to Obi Wan throughout oh. the, throughout the franchise. I mean, just like I'm trying to think of like one specific example, maybe her her sneaking around the the Star Killer base and then putting that side by side with Obi-Wan Kenobi and then, you know, when she pulls that lever on the wall, Obi-Wan pulling the lever on the Death Star. Yeah. There are just all these things that line up just from from the circumstantial evidence point of view, but then from the storytelling point of view, the idea that the ultimate conflict which is Obi-Wan Kenobi and Anakin Skywalker continues through grandchildren and other forms. I find that to be compelling from a storytelling point of view. And also just the idea that Obi-Wan's not perfect and that who knows what happened in that time in between episode three and episode four while he was in the wastelands. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like he could have strayed, ended up like, you know, with a woman and then a child that he never knew about. I find that to be fun and exciting. Um, But with episode seven, have you recovered from the death of Han? You know, I think I kind of assumed it was probably going to happen that way yeah. because because Harrison Ford had, had all of this like didn't he get in a plane crash and then he like broke his leg? I mean, didn't, hadn't he had like a series of unfortunate yeah. events that I was like, here's his leg. Does he want to keep doing this? I don't know. So that for for me, as soon as we got, it was toward the end of the movie. It was Kylo Ren there out on you know. As soon as that scene started, I was like, oh, this is happening. Um, So I think I was just... It was like I had already accepted that this was going to be something that probably happened in this movie. Mm -hmm. It was not like a gasp surprise for me. You had mentioned your favorite character earlier being Queen Amidala when you were a child. Is that stood up today? Uh, I think it's Rey now. Like, completely a a thousand percent. Um, I think... As much as I have great affection for Amidala, because 
she was 14 and running a planet and that was so cool and she wore these red dresses and oh my gosh um i think upon re-watching things and, and I, again i think it's part of it's the natalie portman performance especially yeah. in the latter movies and yeah. things but it just she's she's not the the strong character that in my mind i thought oh she's running a planet she's yeah. clearly this incredibly strong woman um but she she gets bamboozled by a lot of b- bad people and like you know used as a pawn and I you know I think she doesn't ultimately wind up being and, and I mean I think it's really boiling down to like those last couple of minutes of episode three where it's like she lost her will to live. I mean, do you find that offensive? Like like stuff like that where I'm like oh come on. Yeah, I mean like gender gender politics in Star Wars is something that has really taken off in the past couple of years yeah. as internet Twitter culture has just sort of started to dominate what we talk about even in the news. I mean, do you think that they do you think that the studios are really conscious of the decisions they're making with their with their female characters? Uh, I, I think so. I mean, and, and I, in part, I don't want them to use the storytelling to just play identity politics. Like, for instance, they're now like, ah, we definitely think we're going to have to, we want to have a gay character in the next yeah. one, or we want to have a this, or we want to have that. Like, I, don't, I hope they don't look at Star Wars as like, we've got to check all of these boxes to reflect the diversity of things here in our galaxy. On the other hand, you want to do inclusive storytelling. And so for me, seeing Rey grab that lightsaber was not just cool because, hey, here's this likable character who's now about to fight Kylo Ren or possibly her brother or possibly her cousin or possibly, you know, whoever he is. But there was some like, yeah, feminism going on for me, you know, in that moment. Um, and so I'm, I am certain that they were cognizant of the fact that, like, you can't just do a movie where the female characters are, you know, the damsel in distress. That And, and I mean, Leia is actually, that's why when rewatching the original trilogy and seeing <clears throat> Leia and Padme side by side, it was, like, really clear to me that Amidala was not as strong as I had remembered her. And that it's actually Leia who's the one that's, like... I'm independent. I know my way around a blaster. You guys are all idiots. Like, I know what I'm doing. Yeah, I'm, we haven't, we haven't I'm talked stra- too much about Leia. Yeah. I mean, like, she uh, she just got her own book. Um, I don't know how much time you have to read these things, but they, they are <laughs> rebuilding the canon. And so this week they actually just released the the first new canon book featuring Princess Leia's political career after ah. Return of the Jedi. This is I'm about halfway through it at this point. It's called Bloodline. And it follows her as a senator in the New Republic, and she is basically trying to navigate the, uh, the fractionalization of the New Republic into two parties. They have the centrist and the populist, and this is much more political than the Old Republic was, as you have the populist are the small government party. Uh, the populists are the small government the, party. The populists are the okay. small government party, and this is, this is all meant to give context to episode seven so that you understand like what was the situation with the resistance and the first order why wasn't the new republic engaging the first order because they're not it's sort of more like a proxy war thing going on yeah um but yeah you have the populace of which she is part of the small government party which believes all the worlds that are part of the republic should be uh be governed by their own laws own rules oh i love it it is it's really good (laughs) and it's they they definitely have a libertarian streak in them um, almost to the point of anarchy. And then you have the centrist party, and they are borderline like empire worship. 
They're big government people, <laughs> pro-death penalty. They're your, like, Davos. <laughs> yes. <laughs> your, your galaxy far, far away Davos people who yes. want to set more centralization. And, yeah, okay. it's, all, it's all about centralized power. And I think, I mean, I think that's what's so fun about Star Wars is that politics is archetypal in Star Wars. You just sort of take some of the broad ideas and you just put them into things. Mm-hmm. Small government, big government, no big deal. Um, you should consider getting that book at some point. If you, if you have will. some time to kill on an airplane, it's pretty entertaining. There's another character that I now feel obligated to learn much more about, which is Mon Mothma. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I has a handful of lines in Return of the Jedi, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, has developed this cult following. I didn't really know much about her. Again, you know, I've never read any of the books or, or what have you. But then I saw the trailer for Rogue One, and I was like, I'm going to like this lady. I don't know anything about her, but I'm going to like her. <laughs> She's quiet, soft-spoken, very much a pacifist, but like she can she can let other people wield the hammer while she tells them, well, you'll be gentle while you while you kill our enemies. Well, no, no. See, yeah, that, the impression I got from from the trailer at least and from my minimal Wikipediaing afterwards is that like she's very sort of thoughtful, you know, she's not going to be bombastic, yeah. but like she, that, I, that I'm actually going to like her. That I won't find anything about what you just described as weakness, but rather like very good, quiet strength. I think uh, I think that's probably reflected in uh, in the times after Return of the Jedi. Mon Mothma becomes the first Chancellor of the New Republic, and she, for the most part, represents the demilitarization of of the wartime. She wants the military to wind down and for the Republic to focus on healing. And she's known in their statues in her honor that she was a strong and uniting leader. So I think I, I think I probably overstate the the weakness aspect. But in her absence, after she finally steps down from her term, there's nothing left besides just Power grabbing and, and, and a and a uncentralized government to the point where nobody knows who's really in charge after the first chancellor steps down. But she's someone who is worth researching a little bit. I think one of the worst things that happened in the prequels was that they cut her out, uh, her scenes out of Episode Three. She has oh. she has two deleted scenes where she meets with Padme to discuss uh, oh, opposition. Oh, I am going to hunt down these deleted scenes yeah, like um, as soon yeah, as I get back to my computer. Yeah, YouTube um, deleted scenes from episode three, and there are two scenes that are really interesting. It's the delegation of 2,000. It's 2,000 senators or systems who oppose the, uh, the grabbing of powers by Palpatine. And so they're basically having the formation of the rebellion meetings in Padme's office, okay. um, discussing discussing the dissolution the of the Constitution, how it's being ripped up, and Mon Mothma's leading both of those meetings. So those are worth seeing. I they had originally cast the lady who's playing Mon Mothma in Rogue One for episode three, and then deleted her scenes. And so Disney Disney was kind enough to hire her again to come back and actually be Mon Mothma. Now, now did they ever make like any toys at? Well, I was gonna you know like in Force Awakens they made toys out of like things like a snow speeder where mm-hmm. there's no actual scenes featuring that. Like, and yeah. I was gonna say, well, were there any like Mon Mothma toys that came out you know around the time of Episode Three? But mm-hmm. that was that was a that was a political yeah. controversy with this movie was the Where's Ray? You know. That's true. Controversy that Ray is like the main. I I think of her as like the star of the movie, and yet like she wasn't. All I ever see is Poe, Finn, and Kylo Ren toys. I've not. I've still not seen a Ray action figure. I love Poe Dameron. Tell tell me about your love for Poe. It is intense. It is. uh, He yes. 
he is wonderful. I, I mean, he's because he's kind of playing a little bit of the Han Solo like fun hotshot, you know, guy kind of role. Yeah. Um, I, I yes, he was, was like one of my favorite parts of the movie. Uh, Oscar Isaac is really good. Have you seen him in? Um the HBO series Show Me a Hero. No, I have not seen him in that. Yeah. I've seen um, Inside Lewin Davis and I've seen Ex Machina, but I have not seen the HBO yeah. series. I'm more of a TV person than a movie person, and he plays Mayor Wasisco um, from, uh, shoot, I'm forgetting the name of the town up in New York where they're having the segregation crisis. But a uh, really powerful series. He plays this mayor who's trying to desegregate the city, and he ends up killing himself because, like, just the political pressures. Oh, he, wow. can't, he can't handle it. Um, so yeah, he brought a whole lot to that movie. But just sort of like to go for the home stretch here, I brought two gifts for you. Oh gosh! One gifts for folks who come on our show. <gasps> Thank I don't, you. I don't know ah. if you're a Rebel Alliance person or an Empire person. But that is now. It's become point. like hipster fashionable among conservatives to say, "Here's why the empire was great." But yes. I don't buy any of that. Yes. Rebel Alliance, all the way. I, I feel you there. I, I grew up as an empire person, and I am now in the rebel faction. <laughs> the, uh, and I also brought you the Gallup poll from 1999. Oh yes, this is it. <laughs> I, wa- I, I think that's the one you were talking about. Yes, indeed. So I wanted you to take a look at some of these uh, these cross tabs that are on here. Oh, I love this. While many critics sniped about the Phantom Menace. The American public clearly comes down on the positive side of the ledger when they are asked to evaluate it. There you go. Elites missing public opinion yes. all the way back to episode one. <laughs> Qui-Gon Jinn endures as the most popular character from that movie, and he is my favorite. Well, I mean, Liam Neeson is just fabulous. Speaking so. of which, and before we dive into that, have you heard of the, the anti-cheese edit of episode one? No. So this is one of those YouTube edits, you know, where the hype, the super fans cut up the movies the way they want to. But uh-huh. you need to look up the anti-cheese edit of episode one, and I think it will make you love the movie again if you have time to watch it. <laughs> um, they they take some of the worst elements out of the movie. I think the two that come to mind are, one, Jar Jar, they make him speak an alien language. Um, <laughs> they, they cut out his dialogue, they gave him an alien tongue, and they gave him subtitles. So you don't have to listen to that grating, grating voice. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. That didn't happen. Let's pretend it like did. that. It did. Uh, it's on the record. <laughs> on the record. And then they, I, one example, they ended the movie at Qui-Gon's funeral. The movie cuts off right as it's panning over from burning Qui-Gon Jinn to Emperor Palpatine when Mace Windu says, oh, who, which one died, the master or the apprentice? And it ends right on Palpatine, rolls the credits. Ah. Instead of instead of cutting to the, the party at the end in the streets of Thede. Like, I like the music, too. Yeah, I did like the music for that scene. <laughs> but that, that, is a, that is a version of that movie that makes the whole thing perfect again. Okay. And it might, it might make it align more with the way that you want to remember it if you want to watch that. Okay, that's good to know. That's good to know. I'll include it in the show notes. Oh, this is wonderful. So this, let's see, based on those who said they saw The Phantom Menace, personally, have you seen the movie called Star Wars Phantom Menace? Shortly after the movie was came out, because didn't it come out like May, like mid-May? Mm-hmm. So this yeah. poll was taken like two or three days after it came out. Only 4%. It only went up to about 16%, like after having been out for a month. Although maybe that's a lot for 16% of the entire population who have seen a movie. Um, but then of those who said they did see The Phantom Menace, uh, few said it was one of the greatest. Um, but you had an awful lot that said it was either excellent or at least good. So 
What do you make of if I'm reading if I'm reading this poll correctly? Jar Jar has high favorables. Does he not? Uh, which was your favorite character in the Phantom Menace? Well, yes. So it's it's not that he has high favorables. In fact, this almost looks like if you had looked at the Republican uh, field ballot test back last summer, where you have 17 different names, a whole bunch of people polling at or around one or two percent. You know, Watto, Jabba the Hutt. Uh, Shmi Skywalker and Darth Sidious get the unfortunate asterisk, meaning you had some people choose you, but not really enough. Uh, Nobody likes Senator Palpatine. Nobody picked Samuel L. Jackson. Mace Windu. He was kind of a dick in the movie. (laughs) But it's Samuel L. Jackson. Well, anyhow. um, Yeah, Queen Amidala, she she gets 8%, but is below Jar Jar Binks. Now, Jar Jar Binks' numbers fell off by the time they did their last poll, um, and Anakin had surged into the top spot. I also wonder, remember how around that time there was um, a Weird Al Yankovic song that came out? It mm-hmm. was like a parody of American Pie, but yes. it was all about the plot of Phantom Menace. Yeah, Bye-bye, bye, this here Anakin guy. Maybe he Vader someday later, but he's just a soul fry. He left his home and kissed his mommy goodbye, saying soon I'm gonna be a Jedi. Uh, See, wow. Yeah. This is I the stuff that at camp. This is the stuff that takes up space in my brain. And I like if I could go through and like, you know, when you defrag your hard drive and you're like, oh, let's get rid of this junk so I have space to add cool new files. Uh-huh. I've run out of space to add cool new files because stuff like that is in I'm my so, brain. I'm so glad you mentioned that. I, I played that song with my friends like we were at Boy Scout camp. Uh, we all awesome. got, got up in front of the camp and awesome. performed that entire song. It was, it was a real mistake. <laughs> well, thank you for these gifts. I really appreciate it. And I'm glad you found that Gallup poll. Absolutely. That's perfect. <laughs> and the last thing about that Gallup poll, and then I think we'll, we'll go ahead and wrap it up here, is with Jar Jar. So his numbers are not horrible. <laughs> what do you think accounts for just the negativity? And this could maybe go towards episode one as well. But with Jar Jar's example, like the reputation has only gone down over time. Right. Do you think that is as a result of the times, the internet maybe not being a big thing in 1999? I mean, what do you think kills it? Oh, uh, I, I think the internet is part of it. I think the other thing is when I first saw episode one, I didn't think anything negative really about Jar Jar either way. When I rewatched it and I was having my realization like, oh, Amidala is not as strong as I thought. I was also kind of turned to my husband. And I was like, I feel like Jar Jar is kind of racist. Like it's like a racist portrayal of sure. like a like a Rastafarian. Like I like like. Yeah, and I had never heard the 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 racist comment about the Nemoidians. Uh, I, and if you if you look, you'll actually find this. A lot of people find them to be offensive because they are they're actually just very like Japanese. Um, they they seem to imitate the Japanese, and I was like, well, is that? I mean, is it racist or is it like appealing to what we can relate to? Because you know, in the sense of a World War II movie, if you think of this as a war movie, you go, okay, so I'm kind of like getting the World War II vibes here. These are like the Japanese faction, but like, is it racist to do that? I don't know. Yeah, I, well, so it was it was not until the much later in my life rewatching episode one that I was like, I feel like Jar Jar is like a like a racist portrayal of. Mm-hmm. Like African Americans, like so, like something about it's just like not sitting right with me. And it yeah. wasn't. I didn't come to that conclusion that because I I read something on the internet that told me to think that. Like organically on rewatching, and I was like, ooh, something about Jar Jar is just not doesn't seem quite right to me. Again, I'm not like you know Captain Political Correctness or anything, but like I can see yeah. you know now in hindsight, and now that you know we 
we we look for things to be offensive even when they're not. That certainly if something is on the edge of being offensive, like it, people pick up on that stuff more nowadays. So maybe that's part of the the decline of Jar Jar. That might be it. I mean, I definitely did. Maybe a piece of it. I didn't sympathize with that theory years ago, but over time it has started to wear on me. And maybe that is the political correctness culture actually working its way. Yeah, I mean, or or it's just, or it's just like I, I get it now. Well, I mean, and that may not be the reason why more than like two percent of people have changed their view. Right? Like that might not be a widespread thing. Um... But it is something that had never occurred to me in 1999 that did occur to me in 2015. Don't you think that the internet sort of creates and then amplifies pockets of negativity yes. and then drags people with it? Yes. Like once oh, people got on so. Facebook, you know, like when they when they have those chat threads that they actually go down, they get more <laughs> negative than they normally would be. And that's sort of where the movies go down as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, we have this whole like coarsening of discourse now, anyhow, where there is, it's just so much easier to like throw rocks and be negative and point out what you hate, yeah. um, which is why I was very pleased that it seemed like the reception to Force Awakens was so good because... J.J. Abrams had a lot of ways he could have screwed this up. There were a lot of ways that people could have thrown a lot of rocks at him. And generally, the negativity you saw were things like, Ray is too perfect. Like, okay. Ray's and Mary Sue. Like, okay, okay, okay. Fine, fine, fine. But I feel like there is such a culture now ready to just tear down everything that it was nice to, I think, see Force Awakens kind of survive that. That's true. Well, I thank you so much for your thank time you for today having me and, and joining us on this show. Um, this is going to be this this show is going to be all about trying to engage people who are in the world of politics about Star Wars and sort of do a fact finding mission on on why Star Wars is so prevalent across culture and and just resonates with so many different people. Um, and just one of my visions for this show is that. Like, you can have these great conversations with folks in the Beltway about Star Wars in a way that, like, you might not get if you go to Comic-Con. Like, there's just sort of different markets for every sort of thing, every conversation. Um, But last thing, I mean, with Star Wars, we have Rogue One coming up, Episode 8. They just announced the actor for young Han Solo, whose name I cannot pronounce. But what are you excited about in the world of Star Wars that's on the way? Oh, I mean, I, all of it. I, I'm ex- As I mentioned, I'm excited for Rogue One because, again, I think it's got a, a female character at the core. And then you're going to have Mon Mothma, who we'll get to learn more about, which I'm excited for. Um, but then I'm just so invested in Rey at this point that, like, I want to know what happens to her next. I cannot wait for if the next movie is her training with Luke Skywalker. Like, th- I mean, that's... If this is her Dagobah movie, like, I'm just so excited for that. So don't let me down, Ryan Johnson, director of episode eight. Don't let me down. (laughs) Kristen, thank you so much for coming on today. And that is all for our interview with Kristen Soltis Anderson. Um, We hope you all enjoyed it. Uh, I know I did. I had I had a real blast talking to her as a as a fan of all of the work that she does. So you can connect with Kristen on Twitter at ksoltisanderson, uh, her podcast at The Polsters, and you should uh, subscribe to her show as well and listen to that for all your insights for political polling. Thanks so much for listening, and may the force be with you. Laugh it up, fuzzball. <laughs>